morning. Thank you all for coming, and we appreciate your presence here. This morning we have our brother TJ. Let's give him a hand as he comes up. Hello, guys. Uh, I just want to tell you how, how, how good the Lord is, you know. Uh, I started working this job in, um, in uh, Everston, and I work at Northwestern Stadium. And I tell you, it's like the first day I ever went, you know, I told myself, I, was, I told myself I was going to do this for the Lord. You know what I mean? I, I told myself, I'm not going to do this for man or anything else, but I'm going to do it for the Lord. I'm going to do everything unto the Lord. You know what I mean? So I started working there, and the first, even the first day, the people noticed me. They were like, oh, oh, man, you do, you do, you do things so differently. You do things so awesome. You know, how, 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 did, uh, how did you hear about us? How did you, uh, how did you, uh, get to know uh get to get to work here and i told him about uh my friend robert he you know he, he uh he told me about the job and everything and man you know and he told me and i told him i i got and i actually got to witness to the guy because i told him i did it for the lord i got i told him i i did it you know for for jesus you know what i mean i told him i do you know do everything for the lord and you know just encourage everyone here you know do everything for the lord you know what i mean when you work when, whatever you do at school Students in the back, uh, JoJo and um, Oscar and everyone back there, you know, do everything for the Lord in school. You know what I mean? Because God, you're going to give, the thing is, you're going to give glory to the Lord when you're doing it. You're going to give glory to God when you're doing it. And you know, I just want to read this verse. Um, it's Colossians um, 23. Whatever you do, work, work, at, work at it with all your heart as, as working for the Lord, not for men, not for human masters. I just want to encourage everyone here, man. Just do it for the Lord because God's you're gonna give glory to the you're gonna you're gonna give glory to God for it. All right. So I want to pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, Father God, for everything you do, Lord. As Lord, Father God, I just want to pray, Lord, Father God, that you know everyone here, Lord, Father God, that will do everything unto you, Lord, Father God. We'll just give to give you glory, Lord, Father God, not for their own purpose, Lord, Father God, but to give glory unto you, Lord, Father God. I pray, Lord, Father God, for you have given them wisdom, Lord, Father God. I pray that you give them guidance and just understanding, understanding of how much you love them, Lord, Father God. Lord, Father God, I pray all into your name, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Gates, ready for the king. 
stop the Lord Almighty. Yeah, who can stop the Lord? Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Yeah, who can stop the Lord Your praise will ever be on my lips. 
voice of praise. You praise the Lord. You clothe us with righteousness. We're clothed in righteousness. Oh, yes, Lord. Your presence is here. Your presence is here. Church is here this morning. He clothes you in righteousness. He clothes you in righteousness. Oh, saints, lift your voice and pray. Lift your voice and pray. sing this next song, I just challenge you right now to go deeper with the Lord. Come on, don't make it about the words on the screen right now. Give them your heart. Come on. In this time of worship, God, we surrender all. Come and have your way, Jesus.
see the kingdom come, I lift my eyes. For the battle has been won, my God is faithful. Yes, He is. In every single word He said. Come on, let your ears hear that. Come on, let faith rise. Let's sing that part again. Let faith rise. Let's see the kingdom come.
We need your revival today. Come on, lift your hands all across this room. We got to be a people today that are desperate for a move of God. Are you desperate this morning, Metro Praise International, for the Spirit of God to sweep our city? Are you desperate for today for the Spirit of God to sweep our nation? God, send revival on America. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray for the future of this nation. It doesn't matter what political party you associate with. The church of Jesus Christ today must stand on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We must stand for holiness. We must stand for our convictions that are found in the word of God. So we're going to pray. We're going to intercede. The Bible says that uh, prayers and requests and intercession be made for all people, for those in authority. And so we're going to do that today. I want you guys to start praying right now for the state of our land. I want you to pray against the spirit of the Antichrist that is coming in that has already been here. I want you to pray and bind up the spirit of murder of the unborn children from our womb. Ishmael, if you could come on up, please. We're gonna intercede, church. The Bible says that whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So we're gonna do some loosing and binding today. And I want us to loose righteousness, to loose salvation, We're going to loose conviction of the Holy Ghost over our politicians and lawmakers and justices. And we're going to bind up spirits that have come to steal, kill, and destroy our land in Jesus' name. So lift up your hands all across this room. I want you guys to come into agreement as Ishmael prays whatever is on his heart. We will be a church that prays. The Bible says it is church. It's going to be called the church of a prayer for all the nations, a house of prayer for all the nations. We're going to pray for the nations today, especially for the nation of America. Heavenly Father, with broken hearts right now, God, with tears in our eyes, Lord, we say, God, we repent. We repent as a nation, Lord God. For what have we we've allowed in this in this country, God? We repent as a nation, God, for for allowing abortion, the murder of innocent children, the genocide of millions. We repent, Lord. We repent for hating the foreigner and the alien. We repent, God. We repent, Lord God. For looking aside when we see the poor. We repent, Lord. Lord God, we've become selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, self-focused. 
We repent, God. Break our hearts. Break our hearts, God. 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 Break our hearts, Lord, now. Now, God, you've heard our confession. We lose life. We receive your life. We receive your life, your holiness, your righteousness on this earth, on this country, God. On this country, Lord. Father God, I pray for the church, God. I pray that we won't be stagnant anymore. Father God, I pray, Lord God, that we put people in office that have the fear of God. Father God, I lift up holy hands. We lift up holy hands as a people of God and say, no more, no more, God. We will stand for holiness and righteousness. We will preach the gospel. Use us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, we're not done, guys. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, have mercy in our land. God, have mercy. Come on, lift up your voices. We need the mercy of God to touch our land. God, have mercy. mercy God your mercy Lord God we have called evil good God and good evil God I pray Lord that you would have mercy in our city God have mercy in our nation God 
And Lord God, I pray over this election, God. But Lord, I know, Lord God, we are coming closer and closer to that day, Lord God, that great day in which you will return, Lord God, to get your church, God. And Lord, I pray, God, that during these times, God, you will bring salvation, Lord God, from the evil that's going on, God. Lord, that you will bring the church and backslidden people, Lord God, back into you, God, in the name of Jesus, God. We pray for mercy, God. We pray for salvation, God. You are greater, God. You are greater, God. I pray, Lord God Almighty. Lord, you wish that none will perish, but that all will come to repentance, God. I pray, Lord God, that people will have a repentive heart, God. That people will begin to see you again, God. That people will begin to see the cross. That people will begin to see the resurrected Jesus who lives today in the name of Jesus. God, have your way, God. We invite your sovereignty, God. We invite your authority in this place, God, and in this city, God. Reign again, God. Reign again, God. Reign again, God. Be the king of our hearts, God. Start with Metro Praise, God. Start with me, God. Start with us, God. Let us live a life, God, that goes along with your will, God. Your will, your word, and your purposes, God. Have your way, Father, in Jesus' name. Come on, amen, Jesus. Come on, exalt Jesus. In the gap. Come on, we're going to worship. We're standing in the gap. We're standing in the gap, Jesus. We're guilty. Have mercy, God. We're sin. The blood upon our hands is the blood of innocence. Come on. Standing in the gap between this nation and his wrath. Come on. and your wrath we're guilty have mercy the blood upon our hands is the blood of innocence we're guilty have mercy hallelujah Jesus we thank you God that when we pray that when a nation will humble themselves and pray and seek your face, that you hear. And God, we know that you are on the throne. And you are our champion today. In you, we put our hope. In you, we have our trust. Come on, let him know how much you trust him. Let Jesus know who he is today. Jesus! King Jesus! 
champion. You are our savior, oh God. And we put our hope in you. For you are the exalted one. Woo, you reign on high. You sit upon your throne. And you judge rightly and justly, oh God. And we will not be moved. We declare our dependency upon you. We declare, oh God, that you rule and reign this earth. And you use people for your glory to do what you need to get accomplished on this earth. So God, I pray that Metro Praise International will continue to rise up and declare you King and Lord of our lives, King and Lord of the city and this nation, oh God. We plead the blood over America in Jesus' mighty name we pray today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Woo! You guys can be seated at this time. Oh, praise God. God is good. Amen. Praise the Lord. We thank you for joining us at Metro Praise International this morning. That was our prayer time, our worship time, turned into prayer and intercession time. God hears, he sees, he's moving, he's in control. Our trust is in him. So we welcome you this morning. We thank you for joining us on behalf of all the leaders here. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders, and I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. The gospel means good news. And for some, they think Christianity and the Bible is always doom and destruction. And if that's been your mentality, I want to let you know that you've been highly mistaken. The gospel of Jesus, the message of the Bible is good news for those that are perishing. And without Jesus, we're all perishing. We're all doomed to destruction and hellfire forever. Without a relationship, a salvation, a, a salvation relationship with Jesus, a saving um, identity in him, you cannot inherit eternal life. So if you're not right with God today, this message is for you. In Romans chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. How many do I have in here that have been set free from sin? Slaves of God. Benefiting holiness. The results in eternal life. That could be you if you are not confident in that today. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to let you know today that if you're not a slave of God, you're a slave of the devil. And you are not set free from sin. You are bound up, held a prisoner to your selfish ways. And the wages of living a life like that, separated from God, wanting to be your own boss, doing your own thing, the wages, your payment, your paycheck at the end of this life is going to be death. But the gift of God, not a payment, not something you worked for, something that was given to you for free, the gift a gift is not a wage. A gift is something that you get just because. Because somebody loved you. Because somebody wanted to do something for you. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! That's good news. 
So with all eyes closed all across this room, if you want to be set free from your sin, be a slave of God. Receive the gift of eternal life so that you could benefit from that relationship here on earth to live holy. I want you to give your life to Jesus today. You surrender. And I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But you surrender. You say, God, I want to do it your way. It's not going to be my way anymore. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your saving power. The blood of Jesus that washes us white like snow. You have forgiven us of our sins because of your blood. We thank you for what you did on that cross taking our sins, our sicknesses, and our sorrows. And I pray that today conviction would come to the heart of your people. I pray for godly sorrow, God, that leads to repentance today. That they would surrender to you and inherit the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you stand up to your feet with me this morning. We're going to have prayer workers up here at the front. In just a moment, we're going to start fellowshipping and hanging out. I really want to encourage you, if you want to get right with God, and you meant business when you prayed a prayer right now with me, find out how you can get started on discipleship and rearranging your life to say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do it all for God. These uh, deacons here, Joselito and Bertha, would love to pray with you and meet you and show you how you could get plugged into the church today. Amen. Let's confess our confession of faith today. This is our Christian worldview. If, this, if you're new here, we recite this every week because this is the lens in which we see the world around us. So if you're ready to say this with me, let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Give it up for Jesus. Turn around. Shake your neighbor's hand. Give some hugs away today. Thank you for coming.
All right. Who's excited to be at church this morning? Look to your neighbor. Say, I'm so glad you decided to come. Look to your other neighbor. Say, come back next week. Don't be shy. You guys can find your way back to your seats. Who's excited the Cubs won yesterday? Woo! Going to the World Series, baby. So exciting. So exciting. For all the White Sox fans, sorry for you. You might as well come, come on this side. Come to this side. Be a true Chicagoan. I'm just kidding. I'm a Chicago fan. Got to root for the Cubs. Welcome to Metro Praise. We're so excited you guys all are all here. Thank you for joining us, especially if it's your first time. Our services here are every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So if you have children, infants to 11 years old, we have a wonderful children's ministry in the back with awesome children's workers and leaders who are going to take care of your kids and love on them with the love of Christ. Uh, then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. This is our Elevate Youth Service, students 11 to 18 years old. They're rocking it out for Jesus. we got the best youth leaders. They're winning their high schools for the Lord, evangelizing, street witnessing uh, every week by the high school. So God is moving in our city through this youth ministry. And so if you know anybody in that age group, you want them to be here on Friday night. So give them an invitation. How many of you guys excited for the end of the month outreach? It's right around the corner. It's one week away, really. God's presence and his presence. Pastor Brandon Halt will be with us next weekend for the uh, final conclusion of our soul winning summer. And we're just so excited. So please grab the flyers. If we have flyers for this service, I'm sure there, something's being passed around. But if we don't have these, please get those flyers and give them to your friends, family, coworkers. Leave them at restaurants. Invite your waitress. We want to blow it up. Invite your friends and family to this because it's going to be a powerful service where in the, in the message, there's going to be time of prayer for healing and deliverance and prophetic words going forward. So we really want you guys to be in prayer for this service throughout the week and come expecting God to do awesome things. So it's going to be next week. Um, the 30th, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Here at Metro Praise, we have a vision. Somebody say vision. Our vision is loving God and loving people. We also have a strategy and a goal. Our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. The reason, uh, the way we connect you to the church is through our life groups. We have so many different life groups for you to choose from, to be, uh, you know, a part of. Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books, and we want to send you out to do evangelism so that we keep preaching the gospel to the lost. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. You guys excited about that? Come on. Look to your neighbor say, get connected. This is how you get connected at Metro Praise. It's through life groups. The handout that you received, if you turn it around, you'll see a schedule of this quarter's life groups. It's going to take us to the end of the year, October, November, and December. Get connected. Find a life group for you and your family to attend to, be faithful to, and God will change your life through that. It's just an awesome opportunity for you to get refreshed throughout the week and really build those friendships in the church. So this is a snapshot of what's happening uh, for this week. Kicking it off today, we have our single moms life group. Child care is provided, 5.30 here at the church. Tuesday, our encounter prayer night. Powerful time. All ages are welcome, 7 p.m. here at the church. Wednesday, King's Kids, infants to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. That's our Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club. You want your children to be here on Wednesday nights. You don't want to miss out on that. This Wednesday is actually going to be our Halloween party, costume party, outreach, uh, fun service, family fun night. So please make it a, a time of celebration for you and your family to come out and have 
like a harvest fest, okay? It's going to be fun. Thursday is our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. They meet here at the church every week, hit the streets, and literally go to talk to gangbangers about Jesus. They are out there, guys. And so we have powerful men and women of God who are uh, on the streets of Chicago, just right here in our neighborhood, preaching the gospel to these really young kids, whether they're guys or girls, to show them the way of salvation. So if you're passionate about that, join them here on Thursdays. Then Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Goveas, the other one is at the Vivid's house, 18 years and up. If you want to go, 7 p.m., those are the addresses. Check it out. Get refreshed throughout the week. Amen? Let's get mentored. We want to mentor you. We, we have leaders ready to take you through our 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. So you never have to feel like you're lonely here at MPI. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm not lonely here. We have leaders that are going to encourage you to live for God and, and be all that you can uh, for what he's called you to do. When you graduate the 101 that's done one-on-one -on -one with the leader that you choose, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. And this is where we train you to be a leader here in the church so that one day you could be ordained as a deacon or an elder. And then we want to send you out. We want to send you out to do evangelism, to preach the gospel every Saturday. They meet here at 5 o'clock. They hit the streets for three hours and just street witness to complete strangers. You may never even see them again. But the Bible says we must go and make disciples of all the nations. And so that's our way of saying, hey, we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. We're going to be obedient to God's command to give an answer for the hope that we have to this dying world and let them know that Jesus is the only way and that without him we will perish. Because if we don't tell them, they won't know. So to recap, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people. Strategy to connect you, mentor you, and send you out. And a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. Come on, God is good. Are you guys ready to give your tithes and offerings to the Lord this morning? Come on, I hope you are. It wasn't very convincing, but I hope you are. We believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. We, we believe the Bible teaches this principle, this uh, command. We also believe in giving offerings. An offering is an amount that you give after your tithe. That amount is between you and the Lord. The only thing that God requires in that is that you give with a cheerful heart, a generous heart. And we designate our offering towards missions and towards building. So let's get into our tithes and offering lesson for today. You could go to the Metro Praise International Facebook page, click on the link there if you want to follow along or look up at the screen. Section four uh, for the rest of the year is going to be all about hindrances. Lesson one, overcoming greed. Look, neighbors say greed. We don't want to be greedy. Greed is no bueno. So a hindrance, this is a definition, a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's command. So we don't want the hindrance of greed to clog up God's blessing in our life. So let's continue reading so we can learn what we want to get out of this for today. Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's pretty serious. Number one, no one can serve two masters. Notice how Jesus states that the number one competing master for men's heart is money. Why? Because with money, man can temporarily act as his own God. In pride, man says, it's my money, and I can do whatever I want with it. And that's what it, the message is saying. When you cannot be faithful in your tithe, and when you not, cannot give generously in offerings, what you're saying is, I am my own God. I do what I want to do with it, and God does not control my finances. 
And that is a very serious matter because it's a heart of greed and God hates greed. Number two, greed is valuing money above God's word. Many people think that the sin of greed is just when rich people act wicked to get more money, like crooked politicians, dishonest businessmen, perverse entertainers, etc. However, according to the Bible, greed is whenever we choose to value money over keeping God's commands. So if your love for money or your desire to, you know, take care of your family and, and pay the bills is more important than following God's commands, that's backwards. Following God's commands need to be number one priority in our life because what it shows is that you trust Jesus to take care of your family. Number three, serve God, not money. When God is your master, money will work for you. However, if you make money your master, you will not be able to serve God. Therefore, obey God's commands concerning your finances. Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And have faith in Jesus. We need to trust in him. It's a daily walk of faith with God saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to follow your commands no matter what. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust you're going to take care of me. In summary, overcome greed by making Jesus the master of your finances. Let's apply this to our life in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have not always obeyed God's commands in your finances. And three, make Jesus the master of your heart and your wallet. Let's confess this together. This is going to be a new confession now that we're going to be reciting for the rest of the year. On the count of three, one, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. If that gets you excited, please stand up to your feet with me. Let's prepare to give the Lord our best this morning. Again, MPI believes that the scripture teaches that 10% is given regularly to the church, 10% uh, of our total income. An offering is given above that, which is designated here towards missions and towards building fund. And on the envelope, please be specific about the amounts that you want to go towards each section. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. In the bucket during the offering time, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number, sorry, number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with the creditor debit card. You can see Pastor Griselda. She'll be available here in a few moments, too, if you wanted to quickly have her uh, do that with you. And number four, online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this together. Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your abundant grace in our lives. And Lord, if we have been guilty of the sin of greed, I pray that you would take it out of our heart. And I know that every single one of us, God, in, any, in different areas of our life, we've struggled with that. I pray that we would be obedient to your commands, that we would be generous, that we would be cheerful, that we would trust you with our finances, Lord, to know that when we work for you, God, you will allow monies and resources to be put towards our favor on this earth. And Lord, we just pray for everybody's job. I pray that you bring them increases, promotions, and raises. I pray, oh God, that they would glorify you and all that they do and your favor would rest on them. In Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
All right, how many love Jesus today in Chicago? Come on, make some noise. How many believe in miracles for the Chicago Cubs? Make some noise. Man, isn't that awesome? I've been watching the games with my wife, totally a bandwagon fan, of course. You would expect nothing less from me. I don't like to watch sports because I play them. But no, anyways, I am like amazed at this team. I am amazed. I am like so amazed. And many of you, I know through watching you on Facebook, you've been keeping up with them, Edwin, and so many others. And so to see this, this must be amazing for you. You guys this must have a tear coming down your eye. And so we know we can believe in miracles now and then I'm just thinking in my mind I don't know if I'm superstitious or what but I am like thinking back to the future had it off by just one year like of all the years to pick to just be off by one there still could be something prophetic in that because I'm just thinking like how could you get so close because in the movie it was 2015 they were in the World Series right or did they win the World Series oh so now we have to see it to the next level but how many believe the Cubs are going to win the World Series how many think we should take some time out to pray for them right now? No, we're not going <laughs> to. Lord, we just beseech you right now. We pray that Rizzo will just hit home runs, Jesus. And what's the other guy? Baez? Baez? Rizzo? And... Okay, I can't hear what everybody's saying. Oh, we want to pray for him. You just want, you have a special affection for him. I already said a few players. Why do we need to pray for him? Is he just, he needs a special touch? Is he a good player? Okay, sorry, I'm just teasing you. But you know what? Literally, I was watching the game, literally watching the game, and I was saying to myself, if I sat next to these guys on a bus, anywhere, I wouldn't even know who they were. And then if they told me, especially there's this one, the guy that hit the home run in the game before last, he has a real baby face, Russell, I think. Dude, if, if, I, was, if I saw that guy at the gym and he told me he played for the Cubs, I'd be like, no, you don't. You little baby face. You look like a kid. He, like, how old is he, like 22 or something? I'm getting old, by the way. I don't know. I just, I looked at these guys, and then I got to, you know, I saw a Facebook post that said, uh, you know, ladies, you can't be hate or, or jealous anymore. Or, no, you can't be lusting anymore because Bias has a wife. So then I went to her Twitter to see what, what her life be like as the wife of a hottie, like Baez's wife. You know, what's, what's her life like? And then I saw her, like, hanging out with all these other wives. And then I said the same thing to, to myself. If, if I met this girl and she told me I am married to these guys, I wouldn't even believe it. So it just shows you, like, how, how just normal, everyday people they are. You may be sitting next to one right now. You never know. And so I just, I just feel like we need to appreciate their talent but not idolize them, right? Now, basketball players on the other end, no, I'm kidding, but because, but, you know, like if you meet, a ba you meet a guy like this tall, like I don't know if anybody saw the picture going on uh, in Facebook with, with Kevin Hart next to Shaquille O'Neal and, and the, the Mao guy, it is like literally like he is like right to their waist. He looks like a toddler, you know, but baseball players, I, I don't want to dig myself a ditch now. Maybe you guys are going to like me, but some of them, they just look like ordinary everyday guys, you know, not like a football player, not like a basketball player, you know. But they're ordinary people, and they're hitting home runs, and they're making a lot of money. And so let's pray for them. And when, okay, let's just say they, they play Tuesday. When would be the last game if they would win all four? Does anybody know? Because I would love to, like, open up the church if a bunch of people wanted to get together in one place. I don't know if that's fun. But I'll put Ishmael in charge of that because didn't we do the Super Bowl here? We've done things like that here before. So let me just say it like this. If any of you are interested, if it came down to, like, we're winning, and we want to watch the last game together. Talk to Ishmael, and Ishmael will maybe put something together for you. 
Awesome. Okay. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Did anybody read John chapter 2 this past week? Raise your hand if you read John chapter 2. Awesome. You guys are all my favorites. Those of you who were here last week and you did not read John chapter 2, you are not my favorites. You're not getting a treat today. Can I get a little more in the monitors, please? I need it a little bit louder. Thank you. I was so tempted to bring a stack of 20s today and make it rain. But then I felt like there's maybe a lot of you reading your Bible now, and, and it may not be enough for me to give out to because, you know, I was thinking, like, if 20 of you read that, 20 times 20 is like $400, you know what I'm saying? That's like a lot of money. But I should have, I should have brought those 20s because, honestly, how many of you, not in your whole life have you read the book of John chapter 2, but I'm saying just this last week, on behalf of your pastor's homework assignment, how many of you read John chapter 2? Raise your hand. See, look at that. That's like less than 10 of you. I should have given you guys 20s. I should have given you all some 20s just to make everybody else hate on you. Can I just tell you this one more time from my heart to yours as a pastor so I can just make this so plain? Online, online, you can read the, or listen to the book of John, and you know how long John chapter 2 is in minutes? Just guess how long it is if we wanted to push play right now and listen to John chapter 2. How long do you think it would take? An hour? The, the, the time you gave to the Cubs games, three hours? Would it take the time, ladies, you did your hair this morning? No, three minutes and seven seconds. Three minutes and seven seconds. Can you all read your Bible next week? I'm going to give you a homework assignment a little bit, and I hope that you read your Bible. Look at your neighbor and say, the Bible's good for you. Amen. John chapter 2, we're in the series of the Gospel of John. If you're new with us, I'm glad that you're here. You're going to love today's message. Today is about the life of the party. I want you to open up your Bibles, though, with me to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, because I want to tell you about our series here. The first two weeks of John, I've been doing the introduction, John chapter 1. Now we're going to be going through the seven signs of John, and Jesus making the water into wine is actually the first of Jesus' seven signs. And then we're going to go through the whole seven signs, bring us to the end of the year, and hopefully as you're doing your homework assignments, reading your Bible, you're going to learn from John about who Jesus is. But I want us to see why John wrote the book of John. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why do these guys do it? Well, John actually tells us at the end of his book, John chapter 20, verse 30, and onward, look at what he said. Jesus performed many other signs. So this is at the end of the whole book, after he's told you about the seven main ones. He says, Jesus has performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, these signs that we're going to go through in our series here until the end of the year, starting today with sign number one being the, uh, the wine at the wedding, but these are written that you may what? Everybody say believe. Thank you. These are written that you may believe. Thank you that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. Thank you. So John wrote these things that you and I may believe and that by believing we may have life in his name. So that's why we should take the John, uh, John's gospel very serious, all the gospels in the, in the word of God serious, and do your homework and start reading these signs so that you can believe and have eternal life. Now just continue on this uh, introduction I have. Most scholars note that John used the seven signs to lead up to the crucifixion. So actually the crucifixion and 
and death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is not a sign. It's actually something that he builds up to. And here's a real neat thing as you study this out, that some people believe that since there are seven days in the week and uh, Jesus rose on, this, uh, on Sunday, which is the first day of a new week, that, that John was trying to say, here are the seven signs that lead you to a new life, and Jesus is the new life. Not actually a sign, but Jesus himself is your life. And so seven signs for seven days, Jesus coming in and revealing himself. Now, the first sign that we're going to look at today is in John chapter 2. Could not have been a better one to celebrate on today uh, with the Cubs winning. Jesus turning water into wine. How many can I, can I get an amen for wine today? Can I get an amen for that? We'll talk about wine here in just a minute. And now look at what he wrote. So, so John chapter 2 starts the signs off, and, and John tells us why he's talking about that particular sign. Uh, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. Everybody say signs. Thank you. Was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So there you're beginning to understand that John has uh, chapter 1 as the introduction. We've gone through that. Go back and look at uh, the notes and the messages online. And now he goes into these signs, and he starts off with uh, the wedding and the wine. And the last sign is actually Lazarus being raised from the dead. And right there in John chapter 11, verse 42, John wrote uh, that Jesus is actually saying, hey, I've done this, I've raised Lazarus from the dead, so that they may believe you have sent me. So does everybody see the common theme of belief here? Does everybody get that? Everybody say believe. You see it there at the beginning of the signs in John chapter 2 that uh, he's doing these signs so that we believe. You see at the last sign, Jesus is saying, I did this that you would believe. John then at the end of his gospel says, I wrote about Jesus' life here and all of these signs that you would believe. Now let's just pause here. For the most part, do we live in a culture that really seriously believes in the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, in the, the divinity of Jesus? Do we live in a culture like that today? No, most people do not have a real faith in Jesus today. Some of them may say, my parents taught me about this, and so I believe a little bit of it. But when you hold their feet to the fire and you start asking them real questions like, do you really believe Jesus is the Son of God, rose from the dead, there's nobody else like him, the miracles that he did proved that what he said was true, that he was going to judge us one day, that we had to keep his command, so he's not just an option, he's not just one of many, he's the only one. When you get to that point, as I go to the college campuses all the time, many people then will tell you, no, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. And then what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to attack the Bible. Then they're going to say, well, you know, the Bible's just written by men, you know, and then you've got to ask them, what were math books written by? Men? Well, can, can they be right? Can men be right every now and then and write something down that's right? So just because a man writes it, does a man writing something make it wrong all the time? No, it can be right too. So two plus two is four, and a woman can write that. A man can write it, and it's still right. So a man wrote that. Well, yes, we believe men wrote it, not angels or, or aliens, okay? But we believe it's true. And here's the thing that we know about Jesus that is true. Every historian agrees. He existed. He walked on this earth as a person. 
Atheist historians agree. Jewish historians agree. Muslim historians. It doesn't matter who you are, Christian, non-Christian. Everybody agrees he existed. Then all of history, atheist history, Jewish history, points to he, he died under Pontius Pilate. It's historical fact. Jesus was crucified. Now we have a problem. What happened to his body? What happened to his body? Why then did 500 people go around that part of the world? They didn't go move to India to talk about it. They started talking about it in the very place they crucified him and said, we saw him raised from the dead and ascend to heaven. You don't do that if you're telling a lie because all somebody has to do is go, I know his body's right over there. They went to the very people who had crucified him, the very city, and said, we have seen him. And then they themselves died based on their testimony. Now listen, a lot of good people will die for good causes. They'll die for the hope of a better nation, a hope for their family. But these men were not dying to hope to see Jesus, like hoping to get to paradise. They were dying saying, I have seen a fact. This is a fact, and you're telling me to deny a fact. So it's like if somebody said to me, do you know your wife? And have you fallen in love with your wife? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, deny that fact. Deny that you have ever fallen in love with her. Deny that you know her. And I'm like, you can do whatever you want. There's no way I could ever deny that as a fact. And that's what they were doing to these men. These men went to the very city, the Jewish leaders, and said, we saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. And then watched him ascend to heaven. Kill us if you want. Do what you want to us. But we cannot deny the facts. Everybody say the facts. Amen. Facts are stubborn things. And so now you got to get to the point where if you can understand who Jesus is, you can share Jesus to this culture. You can share Jesus to your friends, to your family, to your children, because Jesus is believable. Faith is not just putting faith in something called faith. I don't have faith in faith. I have faith in the reliable, historical, reasonable person named Jesus Christ. He is historical, he is reliable, and it is reasonable. It is reasonable to believe that this one who we know lived, who we know died, who raised from the dead, and we look back at his teachings to take his teachings serious. To take them serious. It's reasonable to do that. As a matter of fact, it's, it's unrational. It's not rational to look at the life of Jesus and put him in the category of just a good teacher. Because a good teacher doesn't go around telling you, I am personally the way to the Father. I am the truth of all mankind. And I am the life, the very air that you breathe. No one will ever get to God except through me. How many know you don't believe in a person just telling you that unless it's true? Otherwise, they're a lunatic. They're a liar. But Jesus talked like this. He said these kinds of things, and he backed it up. And not only did people believe in him, people lived and died for him. So that's why John wrote this, and we should take it serious today. And so that's why I'm praying today that these sermons will bless you. As, as always, the, the sermon notes are online right now. You can follow along with me on the Facebook page or our website. But let's get into it. Everybody uh, turn with me to John chapter 2. We're going to talk today about changing water into wine. As you're turning to John chapter 2, verse 1, let me review all of the signs for you. Next week, we'll be talking about healing the royal official's son. That's John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. So now read chapters 3 and 4 for homework. Three, uh, two chapters, 3 and 4. How many are going to do your homework? 
All right, do your homework. Read John chapter 3 and 4. Uh, then we'll talk about uh, healing the paralytic. That's John chapter 5. That's the third sign. The fourth sign is Jesus feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Him walking on water is the fifth sign in John chapter 6, the latter part, 16 through 24. Healing the blind man is John chapter 9, verses 1 and onward. That's the sixth sign. And then the last sign, as we said, is Lazarus from the dead. Are you with me in John chapter 2? Somebody say, I'm there. And real quick, let me remind everybody who hasn't um, heard about this yet, you can get a great book on the seven signs of John. Uh, it's called The Seven Signs, Seeing the Glory of Christ and the Gospel of John if you really want to go to the next level. Like if you want that A, you know what I'm saying? Like do your homework and then get extra credit. And the book is only a few dollars online, okay? So check it out if you really want to get some good nuggies. Here's John chapter 2, verse 1. Are you ready for this lesson? Today, the lesson on the wine at the wedding, here's what I pulled out of this, is that Jesus is the life of the party. Jesus is the life of the party. I'm so excited to share this with you today. Let's read it and let's get into it. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, everybody go, oh. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And then he goes, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Come on, somebody say, do it. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for their ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, let's get a number in our mind. 30 times six is what? 180. 30 times 6 is 180. Jesus is about ready to make 180 gallons of wine. 30 times 6, check it on your calculators, 180 gallons of wine. Get that in your mind right here. Jesus, I told you he's the life of the party, y'all. I told you he is the life of the party. Some of y'all don't know how to take that right now. But it's going to get good. It's going to get good. Jesus said to his servants, uh, said, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much wine to drink. But you, everybody say, but Jesus has saved the best till now. That is literally where that saying comes from. That Jesus saved the best for last. You ever heard that saying, the best is for last? This is where it comes from, in your Bible. And now it goes on in verse 11 and 12. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. How many believe in Jesus after that? Just made 100 gallon, 180 gallons of wine. Life of the party, the best wine you've ever had. I believe in that, man. I'm following him around. Amen. 
This is the kind of Jesus we serve. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Now, the first thing we have to talk about as we get into this is wine in the Bible. Because right now, some of you are a little bit too religious right now to understand this, this story. You're upset Jesus is making wine. You think that that word should be grape juice in there. Jesus made grape juice. And maybe some well-intended pastors in the past told you that, but let me just tell you, they were wrong. <laughs> Jesus did not make Welch grape juice. As a matter of fact, the man Welch, who discovered how to not let grapes pasteurize, came around in the late 1800s. Look it up on Google right now to keep alcohol out of the church. You see, at some point in American history, we began to prohibit, uh, become a pro. Um, Habition in prohibition, we prohibited, there we go, alcohol, and it was led by a lot of the Christians who said, there's too much trouble with alcohol, there's too many people getting drunk, let's do away with it. And one of these ministers, actually Mr. Welch, he said, well, let's throw it out of communion. And they said, well, how else are we going to take it? So he found a way to preserve grape juice so it would not turn into wine, because all the way up into that time, 1,800 years of Jesus after Jesus, and then thousands of years before Jesus, so literally about 5,800 years of human history, you left out grape juice long enough, it turned to wine, and that's what you had to drink. You could only drink uh, grape juice and those things the moment you, you would squeeze it. And so, my friends, this word translated wine, guess what it is? It is wine. It has alcohol in it. It was meant to party. It was meant to have a good time. Now, some of you right now may say to, your, to me, I don't want to drink wine, and I don't want to drink alcohol. Well, God bless you and, and, and your teetotaling self, okay, and your abstinent self. You don't have to. Nobody here is making you. But I'm just saying, telling you right now, Jesus made water into wine. Now, some people look into history, and they say, well, they watered down their wine back then. They couldn't drink water back then. All of that may have partial truth, but I don't care what anybody else says. The Bible tells me what wine is in the Bible. And wine in the Bible can be used for great things, for joyous things, for celebration, and for getting drunk. So if it is watered down grape juice, why does the Bible keep telling me not to get drunk with it? So this is what I know. The wine of the Bible had enough alcohol to get you drunk if you abused it. But if you used it right, you could enjoy the benefits from it. And so here, everybody write this principle down. Don't abuse or misuse, but proper use the things of God. Okay? And because you got to get that. Just because people abuse or misuse alcohol doesn't mean we can't properly use it. Now, right at this point, I can see somebody religious getting all upset, and they'll say, you mean to tell me Jesus made 180 gallons of wine so they could get drunk? Listen, what they did with it was up to them. What Jesus did with it was up to him. You see, God gave you a whole lot of things that you can sin with and go to hell with right now. Jesus gave you a brain you can sin with and go to hell with right now called your free will. Amen. Jesus gave you your sexuality that you could use and go to hell with right now. Are you listening? So whether or not you use or abuse what he gave you doesn't mean somebody else can't use it right. I'm going to use my brain and my will to serve God. Love him with all my mind. Amen. I'm going to love God with everything that he gives me to love. And so this is what we want to do. We want to look to the Bible, not because of what with religious tradition as our God. We want to look to the Bible as what God said is true as our guide. 
And so what Jesus did is Jesus made alcohol-fermented wine for people to enjoy the party with, period. If anybody wants to debate or discuss that, we'll do that with you. We love you. We're not here to be angry or sassy with you. We just want you to understand what the Bible says about wine. So now that you understand that, here's, here's something that we do at, in, in this church. Since alcohol is blessed in the Bible, we say don't misuse it, don't abuse it, but use it properly. How do you do that in the 21st century? Well, you got to be of a drinking age, right? So you got to be at least 21. You don't drive while you drink. My, my sister died drinking and driving, so I have been touched with that in my life. I've also had my family members be alcoholics. So you avoid those things, and you do it as unto the Lord. And the Bible actually says, whether we eat or we drink, let us do all unto the Lord. And when it's talking about drinking there, it's not talking about your soda pop. It's literally talking about you being at a wedding like this, eating and drinking unto the Lord. Can I get an amen? Now, just because we all love to study our Bible, let's study what the Bible says about wine. Can I get an amen on that? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26. They'll all be up here. This is talking about in the law of Moses when they go to the temple and they give the gifts that they have to the Lord. The Bible actually said that they could keep, part, uh, keep back part of those gifts for themselves to celebrate and to feast with while they were there in Jerusalem. So when they would go to the temple to offer up these things to the Lord, they would be able to keep it. And do you know that there's actually a drink offering poured out to the Lord? Do you know that old, uh, you know, that, that tradition that people do for their homies, pouring out liquor at the gravesite? That actually goes back to the Bible, and it's been a little bit twisted. We, in the Bible, know that there are drink offerings with the fermented strong drink, and they would pour it out on the altar. Are you all listening to me? This is not make-believe. It's not like pastor just going crazy. I am a holy man of God. I haven't got drunk since I got saved. Listen to me. Amen. I'm not trying to promote drunkenness. I'm just telling you, they would take the strong alcohol and pour it out on the altar, put their meat on there, and set that stuff on fire. And that's what I call a barbecue. Amen? Put, put, some, of that, put some of those brats in the beer. Amen? Let's get it on. So they fermented this stuff, and they put their, their drink offering out there, and they would go and they would give it to the Lord. Now look what it says in Deuteronomy 14, 26. Now use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink. Because this is when people come to me and they say, well, is it only wine that we can drink? What about tequila? What about Patron? What about Jack Town? You can drink whatever you want, the Bible says, as long as you don't get drunk. The thing that makes it alcohol, ethanol, is the same in everything. Ethanol's in, in the uh, wine. It's in the hard liquor. There's just a matter of difference of how much proof it is, how much is in there. And don't you know that there's ethanol produced naturally in your Bible as a part of uh, your Bible, your body. It's, it's not there. It's in here. It's in your digestive system. Look it up right now. Google, test me and see if, I, if I'm right that ethanol's in your body right now. Whether you drink or not, you already got alcohol in your body, okay? So use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, and what? Rejoice. Rejoice. See, too often we've removed God from our parties. We say, God, come to our funerals. Make us feel good on the days we hurt and have pain. But God, the day the Cubs win, I go to the bar. I don't want you there, Jesus. And what Jesus is saying there is go have a beer with Jesus. Go have some wine with Jesus. Now, you all think I'm just being sacrilegious. Some of you all do. But turn with me in your Bibles right here to the book of Luke. Turn with me in the book of Luke. Book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 34. How many love Jesus? 
How many believe I love Jesus? <laughs> How many know I would never do you wrong? Now, if somebody says to me, Pastor, what if someone else takes this message, goes out here and gets drunk and hurts themselves? I'll say they're a fool and they're going to go to hell if they die, you know, without Jesus. That's not my fault what you do after this. I'm telling you the truth. Jesus made 180 gallons of wine. That's what he made. When they came to party in the Old Testament, they were able to buy food, cattle, whatever they want, and drink and, and party with Jesus. Now, if you want me to change the Bible, I can't do that, my friend. I will not be religious and be wrong. Amen? I would rather be irreligious and right and be like Jesus. Now, look at, Je look at Jesus right here. Now, John the Baptist was a very strict man. He took on strict dietary uh, uh, disciplines, things that he would do and not do. So when John the Baptist came, he didn't come eating bread or drinking wine. John the Baptist was a very strict person. And then they pointed to him and they go, he's got a demon. They thought John the Baptist had a demon because he wouldn't eat or drink with them. Now, the, this is Jesus talking, red letter. The son of man came eating and drinking. What's he drinking? The wine, the wine that's in the verse above. The son of man, uh, the John the Baptist didn't come eating bread and drinking wine, but the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. See, that, see if you haven't been called that before, you haven't done it right. You see, if you have not relaxed and kicked back with a beer or a wine and drank and ate and your food and someone could walk by and go, you are just a drunkard, look at you, and you a glutton. If you haven't been accused of having that much of a good time, you haven't been like Jesus yet. You can see Jesus. I'm just, <laughs> do you accuse do you, accuse, do you accuse the guy who has one little broccoli and one little side of fish of being a glutton? Do you accuse the person of being a drunkard who's just got water on their table? Hello? You accuse the one who's drinking and eating. That's the one you accuse. And they said, here he is, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So if you ever see me kicking back a brewski and eating a good steak, you can call me what you want, but I'm just being like Jesus. Now, <laughs> Some of y'all don't want to hear this on Sunday, but a lot of you are going to get free. A lot of you are going to go out today. You're going to get your cattle, because what does it talk about here? Go get you a cattle. Go to Longhorn. Get you a filet mignon. Get you a nice stout beer, wine, cocktail, whatever you like. And then you're going to pray. You're going to rejoice. And you're going to toast unto Jesus. You're going to say, here is for the Cubs, and here is for the kingdom. Now, if I don't preach this to you, and I know some people will get mad at me, but listen, if I don't preach this to you, I'm not preaching what this means in John chapter 2. It didn't say Jesus came to the party and turned the wine into water and everybody got mad. That's not what happened. Jesus came and made the party awesome. Now, here's the problem that we have. Here is the problem, is that when I start talking like this, y'all start thinking about your crazy uncle getting drunk and slapping somebody over the grill or something. You're thinking about cousins fight. Listen, when I say Jesus is the life of the party, let's define, first of all, what we mean by life of the party. Do you think the drunkard is the life of the party? I certainly don't think so. The drunkard is the, is the town idiot, the village idiot of the party. Nobody likes being around the drunkard. The drunkard is the one just clobbering everywhere, and I love you. No, stop, dude. You're not fun to be with. You smell. You stink. You know, you're not the life of the party. Who's the one with the life? Who's the life of the party? 
the, Jesus, but in this context, you know, it's the most interesting man. You know, it's that, that beer commercial, Tzeki, whatever it's called, you know. You know, he's got his little beer. He's kicking back. He's telling funny stories. That's the life of the party. You guys get what I'm talking about? That's Jesus. Jesus is not taking one of the, the pitchers of wine. You know, you know, he's not some frat party guy. Do you understand? Because that, that's a lot. Let's be honest. Some of you, like me, have hated alcohol because I've hated alcohol before because of what other fools have done with it. We, we throw the baby out with the bathwater because we've only seen people get drunk, because we've only seen keg stands, because we've only seen people fight at the end of the night in the kitchen after the birthday party, you know? The two ants are fighting in the kitchen you know, after they drank too much tequila. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not there. I just see some of you thinking Jesus is pouring the wine, dripping down his beard. Give me another. <laughs> I'm Jesus. I can drink. I can handle it. I can. No, Jesus. No, you can't. Yeah, I can. I can walk on water if I need to. I can handle this. Like, no, that's not. Jesus is not the drunkard. He's not the town fool. He's holy. He's righteous. Children are around him. It's at a wedding. And so this is, and this is what it says here in Deuteronomy. He's doing just what his people have always done. And those of you who have ever heard about Jewish weddings, Jewish weddings are awesome weddings. There's dancing. There's celebration, right? Look at what it says. You shall eat and drink there. You know, the drinking is implied because you just said they had the wine and the fermented drink there. You shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, in the presence of God. So this is my question to some of you, because now some of you are like, yeah, I'm going to the club tonight. There's going to be a party for the Cubs. You know, What I'm saying is this. Can you bring the presence of God where you want to go drink and party at? I, I mostly can't do that in this world. Now, there's a few lounges and a few little chill bars I can go to, but most of what the world calls their party, I, man, I don't want to be around it. Why? Because for them, it leads to debauchery. It leads to perversion. It leads to fights. Not to mention, the music is nasty and disgusting. But let's say you find a place that has nice music, salsa, merengue, whatever, and you have a nice drink, and you're there with your friends. No, there's no problem with that. But the point is this. Are you doing it in the presence of the Lord? Do all things as unto the Lord. Let's go to Psalms 104. Look at what God does. Somebody say, this is what he does. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate. Who does that? Jesus does it. Our God does that. Now, right here, somebody's like, man, if alcohol's good, then weed's got to be good, right? Because he said use every seed-bearing plant, you know, for your good. It's there. Hold on. Marijuana is good for medicine. Cocaine, heroin, all these things, painkillers, medicine. But if you use medicine for recreational purposes, then you are practicing what the Bible says is witchcraft. God gave us the proper thing to use for enjoyment, for our benefit, for our health. These other things were meant to be used for medicine. You abuse medicine, there is a difference, pills and those things. Well, look here. He makes grass grow for cattle, plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens humans' hearts. Oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustain their hearts. Who makes wine? Jesus makes wine. He does. He does that for us. Now, once again, am I promoting alcohol to any family that's here? No, listen to me. I know we have a lot of young adults here, but we also have some families here with teenagers. I am not promoting alcohol to your children right now. Your children should not be able to drink until they come of age. And every person here will tell them why. When you're young and you drink, you're dumb. 
Your friends don't know how to control themselves, and they definitely don't drink in the presence of the Lord. Now, that's our culture, but my, my wife grew up in a different culture where the Greeks would give their children wine at the meals, and the Orthodox Church would have it all the time, and children could drink, and that was even Jesus' culture. But once again, they knew how to not let the drunkenness take over. But in our culture, it's 21. So I'm not promoting anything, and I'm not promoting partying wild with your friends. What I'm saying is it is there for a reason, and we should appreciate it. Look at this one right here. Somebody say amen. amen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus made 180 gallons of wine. Why? Because a lot of wine is blessed in the Bible. Then your barns, Proverbs 3, 10, will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with what? New wine, that, that great wine that has just fermented. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. How many of you have ever had a hard day? You came home, had a good meal, a glass of wine, and you said, the Lord is with me. Amen? Now, some of you all look to coffee like that in the morning, but alcohol can be used that way at night. Once again, if you're given to drunkenness, don't drink. The Bible says if your hand causes you to sin, don't do it. And then look at this. I love, I love my Jesus. He loves to party. He even prophesied about this in Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, Mount Zion, and we talk about this a lot in the church, and it's a holy place, Mount Zion. But on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people. How many people? All people. A banquet of what? Aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Look at this. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus does. He does this for us. Not that we abuse it. Why did Jesus give you sexuality? Let's just be honest. Let's talk about sex for a minute. Because whether or not you're around alcohol, that's another discussion uh, for right now. But let's just look at sexuality. All of us are sexual beings. All of us have sexual organs. Why did God give that to you? To multiply. That's right, sir. Thank you. And to have a good time while you're doing it. How many are happy sex is fun? Are you guys up today? Do you wish sex was painful? Oh, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. No, I mean, sex at some times can be painful, but how many know for the most part it's enjoyable? It is. But listen to me, young people. You do it the wrong way. It will destroy your soul. So, so God gave us sex to enjoy where? In marriage. In marriage. I go outside of marriage, start having sex according to my own perversion. It will destroy my soul. It will tear me up on the inside. Literally, every time I have sex with a partner and leave, it is like putting Coke with water, a pop with water, and then trying to take the pop out of the water. I will leave parts of myself in them and gather up parts of them with me. I will begin to become soul tied to these people. And the more partners that I have, the more emotional uh, degradation will come to my soul and the more destruction how many used to have sex like that know what I'm talking about that's why God reserves sex for marriage marriage and so where did God reserve wine for where did he reserve it for are you supposed to drink it to make all your problems go away and become drunk no are you supposed to drink it and make it your God? No. You're supposed to drink it and appreciate it with sobriety, with self-control, and eat with that and enjoy the presence of the Lord. So now when we get to the message, everybody said that was just the introduction. Now when we talk about Jesus making wine, now you know why he's doing it, okay? So parents, you teach your children about wine and alcohol. If your house is not going to have any alcohol in the house, 
then so be it. And then you teach your children. And me and your dad, we don't like alcohol. Our family has abused it. We're never going to have it around. That's fine. If you're here today and you do drink alcohol, raise up your children to understand what you're doing. And when they become old enough to want to do it or have uh, friends that try to tempt them to do it, you tell them very seriously, listen to me. One day you can do this like mommy and daddy, but right now you can't. You do this the wrong way, your life will be a mess. And just tell them. Just tell them. Just say, listen, your daddy, I'll tell to my kids, daddy did this the wrong way. I, I, I snuck it out from my parents' house, went over here, drunk in the, you know, got drunk in the back of a, their, their yards and stuff. We'd go out at night, you know, go out and get drunk out there. I said it was the most miserable time of my life. So do it the right way if you're going to do it. Amen? Same thing with sex. Are you going to tell them never have sex? Are you going to tell your children never have sex? No, you're going to say have sex when you get married. Wait. And when they're 14, 15 and all of that hormone stuff is kicking in, you're going to say wait. And I'm telling you, you do it God's way, you'll be blessed. Amen? Now let me get to the message and just look at this pretty picture because enough notes, enough details. I am purposely preaching this uh, message, this series, to really speak from the heart because that's really the purpose of why I believe John wrote this was for us to see the heart of Jesus. So just think back on this story. Jesus is there at the party. The wine runs out. His mother says they're going to need some wine. He says, why are you involving me? And then he ends up doing what she asked. Now I want you to think about why uh, the party ran out of wine. There's probably two reasons maybe that happened here. I've done a lot of weddings, and a lot of times you do weddings with people that they don't have a lot of money. They can't afford a big party. They can't afford a lot. You know, sometimes they just come in their normal clothes, and they'll just go out to dinner afterwards. And those couples I feel a lot of love and sincerity for because I'm like, y'all meaning this. You don't have to do it. You could wait to save up to do it. But you know that maybe they've been living together or maybe it's, they've had a long relationship and they're just not putting it off anymore. You know, We're not saying to rush into marriage, but I see a lot of people who have maybe lived together two or three years and they say, it's just hard to get all the money together, but we want to honor God. And so they come. I could imagine if I was at their wedding, I'm serious because I've already been to weddings like this, like uh, where after the wedding they go to eat. And I've, I've even had this happen where they say, Joe, we can't afford the appetizers. We just wanted to give everybody appetizers, but we can't afford it. Can you pitch in? Now, I could imagine being there like Jesus, and all of a sudden, you know, the mother, Jesus', Jesus mother, Mary, comes to him and goes, hey, they, they've run out of wine. Now, at this point, you see, Jesus is a man just like us. He's the God man, but he is not always walking around going, oh, you know, I hear from the Father, I hear from the Father. As a man, he had to be relied upon the Father, relying upon the Father. And so you can almost see like Jesus responding back to, to Mary going, this ain't my time, woman. You know, what are you asking me to do this for? But as he thinks on it, he says, I should do something about this. And, and what does this show us about Jesus, especially if you see this couple in that situation? is that Jesus cares about the couple's reputation and they're having a good time. Jesus doesn't want their guests to leave early and not have a good time. Jesus loves them. Or what if they were a kind of couple like my wife and I are, where we could afford a lot, we had a great big wedding, but I just invited every single person I knew to the point where you're supposed to have reserved tables. It was like all crazy. Everybody's sitting in this banquet hall, you know, and there's all these uh, extra um, people sitting at each other's table, you know, and it's like, who are you? Well, I just go to Joe's church, and he invited me last week to come, you know, and it's like literally going on like that. It's like a serious banquet. And I just, because that's what I said to my mother-in-law, because she works at a banquet hall. She got us a deal. I said, here's just the one thing that I asked, that I can invite everybody I know, and whoever shows up extra, we just make room for them. 
And I could imagine Jesus being in that same kind of scenario. Here's this real fun-loving person that just had a big vision for their wedding, but everybody's having such a good time, the wine's run out. And Jesus, once again, for the same kind of reasons, cares about people's reputation, cares about them not looking bad, and also cares about their needs. And so either way, we don't know how this couple ran out, but they did. We don't know what Jesus was on at the time. Probably, like I said, Jesus is just kicking back eating and drinking himself, and his mother nudges him, and at first he's not clued in, but then the father says, let's do this. Let's do a miracle here. And then he goes to the water jugs that they had around. Now, what were those water jugs used for? For their religious washings. <laughs> this is what will blow your mind. You ever been to a Catholic church and seen the holy water? That is literally how they looked at that kind of water. And Jesus said, go get the holy water from Father Tom, and we're going to make it a party up in this thing. He said, go get the religious water. Go get the water that you can only have when you wash yourself to go pray. And this is the big difference between our Jesus and the Jesus of the Muslims. Muslim Jesus doesn't drink wine. Jesus is not the life of the party. But our Jesus takes literally the religious washing water, because both Jews and, and, and Muslims wash before they pray. Jesus says, go get you that I got a party I'm about ready to take to a whole nother level. And so what does this say to us? What does this say to us? Our religion is only good. It's only good for Jesus to turn into a party. Whenever our religion keeps us from Jesus, it's nothing of value. It's just water and sacred stuff. We called it sacred water, but it has no value. We just made believe, you know, we make believe that stuff is sacred, and it has no value. But when we give that stuff to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've been washing this stuff over me this whole time. Nothing's really changed. Jesus, you do something with it. Jesus can turn the religion into a relationship, or Jesus can turn religious things into powerful things. Like there's a lot of people who pray. But they just pray water prayers. There's other people who got wine prayers. That means they got joy in their heart. They're excited to pray. They're full of passion when they pray. You see, so God changed the way they did that religious thing. There's people who read their Bibles like water. It's just, it's just boring. It's just natural. But there's others who have the power of God. It's like that wine. It becomes rich and satisfying to their taste. And so do you... Do you see Jesus kind of messing with the religious people right here? You can almost see like a Jewish priest going, hey, we use this stuff to wash ourselves before we pray. And Jesus says, I'm going to use it to drink and have a good time with. Put it up on his shoulder and walk it over here, you know. And I could just see, literally, I could just see like two religious people arguing while they're at the table, and like one person is saying, like, no, I just can't believe Jesus. Like, they're telling, let me just back up. Like, so they're telling their friend, you're not believing this. Jesus just took the holy water, and he's going to do something crazy with it. And then someone is going, like, no, I don't believe he would ever do that. Jesus would never do that. And you can almost see, like, while they're arguing, in the background, Jesus is walking with the barrel like this. Like, you could just see, like, it don't matter what y'all arguing about. It don't matter what you think. It's real for Jesus. 
And I could just see us like arguing like right here. No, Jesus would never make this. Jesus would never do this. And I can see somebody going out today enjoying a good time and Jesus saying, I'm right here. I've left your argument a long time ago and I'm sitting at this table today, you know. And then we see, this is the part that will blow your mind, is that the man that they give it to is in charge of the wedding. That means he's the one that brings out all the food and drink. He makes sure everything's going good. He tastes it. This is where we know for sure, no doubt, that this is alcohol wine. No doubt from the words that come out of his mouth. He says, everybody that I normally service for, they bring out good wine. Then when everybody's drunk, they bring out that cheap stuff from Walgreens. That, that's literally what he says. But you brought the best at the last part. Now, this is where I say my last thing to my grape juice drinking friends who keep thinking this is grape juice. If this is grape juice, how in the world do you have a different kind of grape juice? There are different grades of grape juice. You know what I'm saying? There's the fine grape juice, and then there's the, there, there's just one kind. And, and how do you get so well drunk off of grape juice that now you bring out cheap stuff? It just makes no sense to the story, does it? No, what we see here is that Jesus says, I always bring the best. I always bring the best. And the best I like to bring comes at the end. For those who have stuck around, those who are really here for the right reasons. And then John says he did that because he wanted to show us his glory his glory. Now let's just take a step back. Use your imagination just for a minute before I tell you what I feel God showed me on this. How, if you believe everything up until this point, as, as I said, right, like you're believing Jesus made wine, they're at a party. How does this show God's glory? I mean, it almost sounds like it's a magic trick. As, as a matter of fact, when some people read this story and they don't believe in God, they, they talk about Chris Angel and other people, they, they can do these magic tricks. Like, like as if there's no real benefit here. There's no blind person. There's no leper. There's no dead person. All these other miracles have a purpose. Feeding the 5,000. They're all hungry. Three days they haven't eaten. But what's the purpose here? Literally, it just seems like Jesus is a show-off. Like, he's just like, I'll make some wine. Y'all want it? Here you go. And it's awesome. But John said, this showed the glory of God. Not just showed a trick of God. Not just showed that he can do stuff whenever he wants. But it shows his glory. Well, this is where I think we got to go a little deep here. You see, what I think Jesus is, is doing here to show us his glory is to say that he understands we all come up empty and short in life and that we all want every day to be like that wedding and to have a great time but even our best times we run out you could think about my daughters they love to hang out with their friends and they're going to hang out they're going to hang out till they say we want to stay up till the morning we're going to stay up till the morning and then they run out of energy and by three o'clock they're all knocked out over the couches right some of you, it's the same way. If the Cubs just win, I'll be so happy. And you celebrate and you celebrate. But then the celebration will run out. And you'll have to go back to your normal life. And no matter how awesome your highs are, the lows are always harder. They're always worse. It doesn't matter when or where you run out of things in your life. When you run out, you can't go any further and I believe what Jesus is showing us is there's areas of our life that we all run out in. And just like the wine ran out, he cares about it. So there are some of you here today where you've run out of love in your marriage. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to fill up your marriage today with some fresh love. 
There are people here today, maybe you're reading your Bible and you're praying, you're going to church, and you've lost that passion. And he's saying, I'm going to fill you up with fresh love. Because Jesus, think about this, y'all, is the life of the party. He's saying to the mother, like my wife who does homeschool every day with our four children. Now we have the baby on the side, so we have five all together. So there's four that are trying to be hurled, uh, you know, um, brought together. It's like, uh, like herding cats. You know, when you have children as young as ours, it's literally like herding cats. And it's like you get one and whew, another one goes over here. And I can just see Jesus like at the end of the day showing up with a glass of wine to my wife going, I've got you. I'm going to fill you up with what you need as a mother. Because Jesus' wine is more than just the earthly wine. Jesus talked about in the Bible in John chapter 6 that his flesh was our bread and his blood was our drink. The Roman Catholics took that to mean literally that communion turns into Jesus, which made us cannibals in some ways. We're like, no, Roman Catholics, let's just hold back a little bit. Have you ever heard of a symbol before? you ever heard of symbology before, you know? We're not literally eating Jesus. But the idea is to show us that, isn't it? The idea is we're all taking in things into our souls just like our body takes in things. We're always hungry for more. We're hungry for satisfaction. We're thirsting and it never seems to be enough. And as God was speaking this to me, I want to share it to you today, that God is always more than enough. He doesn't just make a gallon and say, y'all share. And I don't care if you're partying with wine or you're partying with pop. You've all been to parties like that. This is the two liter for this whole table. Y'all make it happen right here. And you're like, this ain't going to last us more than a minute, you know. But Jesus doesn't come like that. Jesus comes with 180 gallons and goes, but ow. Do you think Jesus has enough joy to get you through your job tomorrow? You need to ask him to fill you up then, right? Do you think Jesus has enough joy to restore broken marriages, broken homes? Do you think he has enough joy? Yes, he does. Look at these scriptures quickly. Look at these scriptures right here. Jesus promised us two feasts in the future. One is a marriage festival in heaven. Do you know that when you die and go to heaven, you're not going to stay there very long. You're waiting to come back to earth to reign with Jesus. But while you are there, you are waiting for God to judge the earth. When the judgment of the earth starts, the party starts in heaven. While judgment comes here, the party starts up there. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Then after you have your wedding supper of the Lamb up in heaven and the earth has been judged and Armageddon has happened, we come down with the Lord and initiate a thousand-year reign with Jesus. And that's where that scripture says, on this mountain there will be that feast. And so the question that I want to ask you today is, do you see that Jesus is preparing a feast for you in the future based on the feast he's given you now? Based on the promises he's given you now. Look to this scripture right here. Jesus, later on in John chapter 4. Remember, you're going to read this for your homework. 3 and 4 this week. Jesus answered this woman. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirst again, thirsty, thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. All of us are going to get thirsty again in life. 
No party will ever last long enough to satisfy our soul. No relationship will go deep enough inside of us to satisfy us. But if we let Jesus give us his drink, we let Jesus give us his spirit, they'll never run out. And look at uh, Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not get drunk on wine. Because what is that tempting thing that happens when you drink wine and it feels good? You think to yourself, if I drink more, I'll feel better. Wine feels good at a couple of glasses. Well, then at a whole bottle, I'll be feeling awesome. But is that true? No. The more you drink of it, the worse you start to feel. And that's why the Bible says, don't get drunk on this one. Don't go to that wine to try to satisfy your soul. You'll want more of it, but it will actually not give you what you want. It will lead you to debauchery. Instead, be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. So how many today in life need to be filled with the Spirit? How many would like Jesus to do a miracle in your life and fill up the empty barrels or the barrels of water and turn it into wine? I know in my life that's what I need today. And that shows the glory of God, that I can be satisfied with Jesus. Jesus satisfies me. So there's those two applications. Number one, invite Jesus to your party and have a good time. Enjoy life. And then number two, get saved, have a Holy Spirit encounter with Jesus, and have him fill you in ways that food and drink can never fill you. Amen. Let's have Vinny come up. Would you just, where you're sitting right now, just close your eyes with me and ask Jesus to show you if there's any areas of your life that you need his touch of peace and joy. Lord, we thank you for this service today. We thank you that in many ways, Lord, we can uh, abuse things because uh, they're not what you give us. In our hearts, God, we can make idols out of anything, not just our sexuality or alcohol, but we can make idols out of our jobs. We can make idols out of our, our finances. And, Lord, all of these idols run dry. All of them don't satisfy. And yet, Lord, you satisfy every time. And, Lord, you transform the ordinary things into extraordinary. You take the natural and make it into supernatural. Your job may just feel like a bunch of things you do throughout the day to make money as plain as water could be. But God says, I can transform the way you see your job to be like wine. I can fill you up with purpose on your job. I can bring joy to you servicing your customers, to you working. You may be looking at your marriage right now going, this is, this is just water. It's nothing big deal about it. And you may look at what you do just out of habit. I do this, she does this, we do this, and this is our life. You know, we used to be madly in love. But Jesus is saying, I can, I can change that marriage into romance today. Where are you at today with things in your life? And know that Jesus cares right now. I'm going to ask that the band would come, altar workers would come, and you would just pray a few more moments just right where you're at. For Jesus in your life right now, make it personal. I ask the Lord to give me these messages in a way that show you who he is because isn't that the purpose of why John wrote them to begin with? So that we can see who Jesus is. So that we can see who he is and love him like he loves us. Just a few more moments. Come on. Where are you dry today? Where are you dry today? Jesus, fill us up. 
We're going to stand in just a moment and worship the Lord today. But I want us to look at our hearts. Because the Bible says Jesus did this to show his glory. Jesus did this to show his glory. I was walking in my neighborhood while I was um, thinking about preaching this. And I just said, God, I need you to show, my, show your glory in my family. Because without you, God, I don't have the joy to raise five children, Lord. And I just felt Jesus just say these things to me, man, what I'm sharing with you right now. He loves us. He won't let us down. And I felt that joy come over my heart. The world tries to tell us, you know, we got to be the real housewives of Jersey Shore. If you think about that, you got to have a... a you know, like a maid, you got to have a babysitter, and then all you do is just live for the weekends. You live for the, the parties. But that's not the way God is teaching us to look at life. God is saying, whether you eat or you drink, you do it all to me, and whether you work, you do it all to me. God wants you to have His presence and be together with Him in union like one, like you're hanging out with your best friend whenever you go to work, whenever you go into your stressful times of life, whenever you're in traffic, for whatever you're going through, he has more than enough. Can I get an amen today? Would you stand up and bless the Lord with me today? Amen. Do you believe that he's more than enough? We love you, Jesus. We're going to close out today in prayer. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want to start a party with Jesus, Come up to one of these folks and ask them to pray with you in an area of your life and to begin to receive God's Spirit into your life. And today as you leave and you go and celebrate, take God with you. Take God with you to your birthday parties. Use what you've learned here to show the world what God has done in your heart. Let me end with this example, which is an awesome one. When Ishmael and I were like besties, we've known each other for almost 12 years now, well, we were hanging out. We went to go to B-Dubs, uh, get some wings and some brews, right? Well, we're sitting there just laughing and cracking up. We're having so much fun. A couple is on their way out, and they give us a coupon. They're like, you guys must be drinking a lot, having a good time. Here's a coupon for $5 off your next thing or whatever. It's just like a general $5 coupon. Here you go. And we looked at her and we said, we haven't even ordered anything yet. And she's like, what? And I'm like, we are this happy because of Jesus. We're this happy because of Jesus. You see, when you got the joy of the Lord, you don't need to get it from something else. Before I ever was married, I had the joy of the Lord. But now my wife multiplies that joy, right? Before we ever had a church full of people, when it was just a Bible study, I had the joy of the Lord. So when I eat and drink, I don't do it to get the joy of the Lord. I do it with the joy of the Lord. Do you see the difference? I do it with the joy of the Lord. I want somebody who really has the joy of the Lord to pray for us. Let's have Christina come up here. Christina, you got the joy of the Lord. Will you just pray for us today that we'll... Let God give us the fresh wine of his spirit. Oh, Jesus, we just thank you for your massive amount of unlimited joy, God, that you give us free for the taking, God. We thank you for all the good things that you are, God, that we get to grasp because of we are your children. Jesus, we thank you that you are good and faithful.
faithful even when we face the hardest of times, God. You remain good. And so, Lord, right now I ask for hearts to be open, to receive that goodness, God, that we would not be bound by our situation or circumstance, but, God, we would openly receive everything, God, that our hearts would be bare and wide open, God, that as you want to pour out, God, we would seek it earnestly, Jesus, and receive all that you have for us today, God that this week would be a week of change, that today and in this moment, hearts would be willing and ready, God. Hearts would be expecting, Jesus, more of you right now, God, that our hearts would be overflowed with new wine, Jesus. Wine better than before, better than the past seasons. God, we claim and receive the new wine in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Slap your neighbor high five and say, start a party with Jesus. God bless you as you go. If you need prayer, come on up today. Otherwise, have a great week. We're going to worship together. Come on. Fill me up, Jesus. Till I overflow. I want to go higher. Jesus, fill me with your love today. If you're suffering with addictions, if you've been addicted to alcohol or drugs, let's get you hooked on Jesus today. Come on up too. Jesus, you are the fine wine of heaven. Fill us up till we overflow. Satisfy our souls. Change our lives. Oh, be the joy of our hearts today, God. Jesus. Those of you worshiping and praying, keep doing so. But if you can hear me, just let me encourage you. Jesus is the life of the party. The Bible says in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. You, you may go through hard times, that's true. But Jesus wants you to have joy in your soul today. Jesus wants you to have his love today. And you may feel like you're dry 
You may feel like you're just not able to have the same kind of passion or excitement like you used to. But I want to tell you, there's 180 gallons today. There's more than enough today of Jesus to to touch a mother's heart today for her children, to touch a father's heart for his family, to touch us, to fill us. But all we need to do is ask. If I had time, I would talk about his mother. See, she asked. And she said, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Are you willing to do whatever Jesus says today to be filled? Whatever Jesus says. If he says as a husband and wife, read your Bibles together. Do family devotions. Wake up and pray. You know, whatever God says, are you willing to do it? If you are, let's sing it out again, knowing that we're going to do it God's way. Come on, fill me up. Overflow. I want to run. I'm going to do it your way, God. I'll do whatever you tell me to do, Jesus. Fill me up. Fill me up, Lord. As a husband, as a father, I want to run up every day through your word through your spirit through the service that I do for you I want to run over fill me up more Lord Mas Espirito Santo Mas